You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated with Pete Sampson from The Athletic. It is Thursday, November 19th, and it's a bye week. So we are addressing several topics here today, um, starting with, and I guess dipping back to what we discussed on Monday, is the, the situation that Notre Dame has at center with the season-ending Liz Frank injury to Jarrett Patterson. Notre Dame has a battle going on on the practice field, uh, almost literally as we speak, as they head into the weekend with Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. I would imagine the coaching staff would like to have a pretty good idea going into Monday who they think is going to win that battle. It's my understanding that it is not, no surprise here, really. It's down to Josh Lug and Zeke Corral. Corral, what do you guys think? I sort of where I was on Monday that I think Corral will will get it. Um, well, I guess we'll sort of see what happens when they practice Tuesday and Wednesday, lifting today, and then practice next week. I mean, maybe the coaches will make a change next week, but um, <laughs> I, I still feel this way. Like if they played this weekend, Zeke Corral would, would start. I'm with Tim and that they have to know by Monday, though. There's no reason to drag that out. Um, but apparently some guys were hitting this week, right? Because Tuesday and Wednesday, they must have had their centers and uh, scout teamers right. or starting <laughs> defensive tackles hitting because that's the only way to find out. Yeah, I, we always, people always say, who do you want to win? I don't know, whoever the best one that helps them beat North yeah, Carolina that's so we can go that's cover a playoff game is who I want to help win. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like the only edge I give Zeke Carell is he's a center. So he, I, I don't know if Josh Lug. I don't know when he last snapped. I don't know how often he snaps. I don't know how close he was to starting last year. If Jarrett Patterson would have gone down um, in game number five, he, I mean, a lot closer than Carell. Um, yeah, I don't know. My hunch is Carell, just because he's a center that's up and coming. And I know, Tim, you have a, a good hunch that the, the veteran senior yeah. is the guy to go. Yeah, I mean, my hunch is Lug, but I, yeah. I mean, I'm with you. If Carell wins the job, then I, I'm sure he won it on the practice field. And that's, that's great. That means you have a great young center yeah, moving yeah, forward. Good. It means Lug can continue to be a tackle. Right. Uh, and you never know when you're going to need him in a game situation. But so if Corral wins it, fantastic. That means a redshirt freshman beat out a redshirt junior, albeit one that doesn't play his position. But yeah. I just think my hunch is, is such because I think that – I think when it comes down to – I'm trying to think like a coach here. I think when it comes down to – what the coaches are going to ultimately decide, meaning the head coach, basically the head coach and Quinn, the offensive line coach, mm -hmm. and maybe Tommy Reese to some extent. I think they're going to choose the guy that's been in the program longer, that has five career starts and has more experience playing in games and can make can make on the run decisions, on the fly decisions. Uh, based upon his experience being in game situations. So you're saying there's collaboration on this staff, Tim, kind of like a, we're in a there's definitely live podcast right now. There's better yeah, collaboration. Well, in my interview with Jack Swarbrick a couple of days ago, yeah. we talked about collaboration. There definitely is collaboration on this staff, which uh, was absent at times uh, in previous years. What, I mean, what, what do you guys think about, I mean, I know, I know you're saying Corral, but I mean, what do you think about my line of reasoning here? I, I guess I'm just not sure that Lug's experience, um, I wouldn't value it maybe as much as I would in normal circumstances because it's the center where Corral has been practicing for two years now. Um, but he hasn't really gotten in games. So it's, uh, 
I, I just, I have no, I have no idea whether Love can play it or not. I mean, I think we've all been to spring practices where they try a new guy at center. It looks terrible. Um, just based on the snaps are all over the place. They're on the ground. Um, but he I mean, won't win it then. You know what I mean? Patterson's uh, camp of 2019, Chip Long being all over him, like basically Patterson, you're killing us. Um, Cause he was, the snaps were low, you know, was making book like have to double clutch. Um, so again, I, I'm not sure that Zeke Carell is, you know, like the, the most pinpoint snapper, but I, I guess I would just think that, it, because of the nature of the position, I would lean towards the guy who's been practicing it more than the guy who has played in games at other spots. That's how I felt until I looked up and you mentioned practice and I saw Jack Freeman sitting there and thought, we sat there at a spring practice watching <laughs> Sam Mustafer, the trained third-year center, snap the ball all over the place. <laughs> you know what? Maybe he's not ready for it either. See, we don't know what, this, what the machinery will be. Um, I am glad. This is one thing I did root for. I did not like the idea of moving Robert Hainsey to center to weaken two positions. That, no, that did not appeal to me at all. I'm um, not really sure that that was ever a real thing. Okay, good. I didn't think that made <laughs> any sense because I know and, Josh Lund could go play tackle, but and it was not originally suggested by me. So I, I just it was just one of the options that I sure, sure. that I chose. And well, we've we've bandied about Hainsey at center for four years. Yeah, so I figured it was his one chance. Admit and now that may be something on the next level that he we'll have right. to right. think about or try to compete at. I guess my, my one question about Corral is, and, and I, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with anything you guys are saying other than, you know, this is big boy football making decisions at center for the number two team in the country. And you better have good awareness and you better be able to adjust on the move. And I think that the feeling will be within the team, within the offensive line and the coaching staff, that just that playing experience, even though it's at a, at a different position, that um, now, you know, if Lug is, if the snaps aren't good, then I mean, then you just can't, you can't do it. That's got to be an automatic, and that it's, yeah. it's, you know, well, it's two I, kinds. I, it of takes snaps a while too. for it to be automatic. What it's also mean? two kinds of snaps, Tim. I mean, I bet there wasn't a whole lot of Josh Lug under center practice last spring and last August, right? Because they weren't really running it. Right, you know that that is an well, additional. So maybe yeah. maybe if he gets it, they steer away from that. Yeah, well, that's I, I don't. How yeah, much have yeah. they? How much have they done that? I mean, I, they could steer away from it, but they do it enough at the goal line yeah. when they have the four. You know, anyway. whenever Tremble becomes the fullback, just picture Tremble the fullback. That's when they do it. Oh, okay, right. You know, right, yeah, that's, right, that's, that's right. That's the way, that's yeah. the way to look at it. Yeah. So whatever. I we we have no, I have no rooting interest here. Whoever they put on the field, I'm going to say, good choice. Because I'm sure it was well reasoned and made by regardless of what happens. Well, <laughs> no, going in, no, going into the game. Yeah, yeah okay. I'll, I'll say no guess matter what. Say, I told you if, so. Yes, yeah, I was going to say like next the, the podcast post North Carolina FC Carell plays and struggles. You're not going to be like, oh, oh. I, I understand where they were coming from. Now, give me a chance to second guess a coach's decision. I'm all over it. <laughs> All right, let's jump into recruiting a little bit because holy crap, it's like recruiting week here. It's not just a bye week. A lot of great things happening for Notre Dame to have not only gotten Deion Colsey back uh, into the fold a while back, but Philip Riley is back on board, uh, which I think, you know, completes that that uh, uh, cornerback slash yeah. safety uh, recruiting for this cycle. You get a kicker in Josh Bryan. We'll talk. We've got a question about him. A couple questions, I think, in the second segment that we'll address a little bit more. But he's a strong kid. He's got a live leg. 
He looks great in camps. I don't put value in camps the way everybody else seems to put value in camps for kickers, but it's a starting point. He's pretty good. And then, I mean, in, in fairly short order here, um, Kahanu Kia is going to be on board with Notre Dame. And we anticipate Caleb Johnson, the uh, Ocala, Florida offensive tackle who's verbally committed to Auburn. We anticipate him coming to Notre Dame. And then the kid that I just think is a really special player, Kelvin Gilliam, the defensive end, um, who is verbally committed to Oklahoma. And we expect all of those guys to end up being verbally committed to Notre Dame. A sudden rush of uh, quality players towards Notre Dame. And I think a lot of it has to do with beating Clemson and being number two in the nation. Yeah, I, I was glad above all that Philip Riley came back because I, as you said, it kind of completes that class. Um, I think we talked about it, Pete, that the hit rate on corners can be low. So when you have a guy you really like in Riley, chances are you have a, a better have, you have a decent class coming in between Barnes, Tucker and Riley, because you've got what I, what I viewed as the best of the three, what I think we all viewed as the best of the three, right? Sure. So there's certainly some leeway now when you get the best of the three and two other guys that we like, I think it's sometimes it's, it sounds impersonal to throw numbers at it, but let's say Riley didn't come and one of those two didn't work out. Well, now you have a one corner class and that's right. kind of how you got to look at it. Yeah. You got to, you got a margin for error there. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, I've said this a bunch, but like the Notre Dame's recruiting position needs to be and like, it's not, would you prefer Barnes right. or Riley? No, it's and like you need and absolutely. Yes. Something does. And Ohio state does. And um, so for Notre Dame to do that at that position, I think is significant. It's just, it's the same thing a receiver. It's not Colsey or Styles. It's and so they got that done there too. Um, you know, <laughs> Ryan Pullian is, I think, eager to add a specialist when he can. Um, if you can make the numbers work, I, I do think the numbers of this class are kind of interesting. If they end up hitting on all the guys that you're talking about, because it's not like they have a ton of space, but. Um, certainly would seem to indicate that yeah, they I think, have an idea of how next year is going to look. I think that brings them up to 24 if all those hit. And, and, and I mean, they're pretty certain it's going to. So, I, you know, they'll make it work out. They almost weren't able to make it work out. This is the closest they came to not being able to make it work out this past season, uh, but they did, so they find a way. Um, I love Kelvin Gilliam. I, I think he's a really special player. I think he's Khalid Kareem plus, possibly because I think he's got a little bit more natural pass rush, uh, although I like him at the big end. I think that's the best position for him. Uh, he can slip inside like like uh, Kareem did. Yeah. So, I, you know, then maybe that's maybe that's more of a conversation for the next podcast because it hasn't actually happened yet, but, um, but we expect it to. And it's a huge boost. And, hey, man, it's amazing what happens when you beat Clemson, isn't it? A lot of good things happen to your program. <laughs> When you, yeah. when you beat the number one team in the country. I mean, it's kind of what similar, not, it's not as dramatic as what happened after, um, you know, the 2012 season where they ended up picking up, I think they flipped Redfield late, Bryant, they hold on to Terry and Folston, uh, Durham Smythe, they flipped. Um, if I, I, I don't know, I sort of feel like if you're, if you're not making headway, you're not striking when the iron is hot, like, come on, like right. you got to make a move. Um, and so, you know, full credit to them for, it looks like they're going to make a pretty big move. And Tim, you mentioned big end. I like him a big end because I really like the last two classes of rush ends of Vipers. That's, you know, right. Foskey and Batello coming through the ranks right, too. Right. To be, you know, that, right. that's, that's one way of looking at it. I mean, 
The rotation now allows for a nice two and a half, but it's not great for three. It's just hard to play three Vipers in a game. Um, I think, I mean, Justin Adamiola is a guy that a year and a half ago, we would not have said, well, he's going to be starting probably as a rotational senior and fifth year senior because he's just playing good football now. And he's going to be one play- of those grizzled veterans on the team at that point. I mean, maybe there's some nuances that, that we don't recognize and, and we miss, but man, that kid, I mean, that kid's productive all the time. Yeah. yeah. All the time. I don't know that he's, he may not give them as much pass rush as they no, would like, right? Him. I agree. Yeah, but he's a good run player. But he and, is, a, um, yeah, he he's a he's a good player. It maybe someday down the road we'll actually interview him. That's true. We haven't <laughs> seen him at all. You're right. <laughs> maybe, maybe we will be made. Maybe he'll be made available to. It's tough here for interviews. There's no doubt about that. This year's really all hard. right. Yeah, let's wrap up this last segment by touching upon North Carolina. We have questions in the second segment, and obviously next week. Uh, and, and, uh, while I'm thinking about, it, I'm going to go ahead and remind people that what we're going to, how we're going to handle next week is we're just going to have one podcast. We're going to have it on Tuesday. Um, Monday is going to be a little bit crazy. Wednesday will definitely be crazy. Cause I'll be trying to get out of, get ready to get out of here to go to North Carolina. So we will be podcasting once next week on Tuesday. Monday is, Kel- is Kelly and players for those listening, if they're wondering why. Kelly and a, players, and we'll, still have our, we'll, start, right. yeah. we'll still have our instant analysis on Monday. But North Carolina, I've spent a lot of time the last few days looking at North Carolina, and I am here to tell you that there is a whole bunch of offense <laughs> at North Carolina. They have – I said that Nordame could run the ball better against Clemson than they did Pittsburgh, and I will say this right now. North Carolina has more offensive weapons than Clemson. No, I agree with you on that. You know, um, what they also have more of is problems on run defense than anybody Notre Dame has played. Well, there's no doubt about that. We'll get, <laughs> we'll get into that in a minute, but uh, and more in segment two probably. But uh, now they got De- I, I, They have two great. I, I, they have two great offensive players. Yeah. One is Deami Brown, wide receiver number two, who makes virtually every catch of a ball thrown in his direction. And then Javante Williams, number 25, their power running back, who leads the nation in yards after contact, is just a monster to try to bring down. Remember I was saying about David Bailey from Boston College, they better tackle him? Yeah, it's a little different, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a little different. This is a different level. You better tackle Javante Williams. And then, you know, they have a compliment to him and Michael Carter, who's, you know, more of a quick back. But yeah. – uh, those two guys are good. De'Ami Brown, Daz Newsome, good player. They've got a bunch of receivers. Uh, they've got a, a tight end who's a horrible blocker, but Garrett Walston's a pretty good receiver. Uh, and their offensive line, did somebody ask about that in segment two? Yeah, I'll we have wait. a couple I'll of wait questions. On that. I'll, wait, I'll wait on that. Um, but they're good. But defensively, they don't have any great players. And they have two safeties running around there that the only thing they have in common with the other nine guys on the field is they're wearing the same uniform. That's not, and you're saying that's not a compliment. It's not good. They stink. And I will say, you know on the what offense, I said? I take. I said that uh, Boston College's kick coverage team was bad too, and nothing, nothing. <laughs> Nordic got nothing against it. Not part of the sport anymore, man. But I'm sure. I'm I'm sure about number two, the uh, the other number two, Don Chapman, at free safety, and uh, number nine, Cam Kelly. Those guys. You know, look, there's a reason why their defense is bad, and it's not just those two guys, yeah. but they're they're bad on the back end. And I'd have thought there'd have been enough athletes to get it together by now. 
you know, I'm not saying like they're going to be a top 50 defense, but when you have an offense that good, you'd think you could settle in somewhere in late September and say, this is how we're going to do it. We have some athletes to run around. We're going to simplify things and this is how we're going to play. And all we have to do is, as Brian Kelly used to say, keep the points down. It's not like they have to go out there and be really productive and make force turnovers. All this, all you have to do is keep the other team around 31 points. Well, Chapman doesn't play hard. I mean, I, there are numerous examples of their free safety, just not playing hard. And I, I'm not saying that up front, they don't have some good players. Um, you know, Chess Surratt, this is interesting. It's interesting because, you know, like when you're trying to like Tim, when you and I had, or and Pete, yeah, I think you do too. You have a vote with the ACC. No, I guess you wouldn't. Or do you? Yeah. Like preseason, you know, you, like you're going on stats mainly. You can't, you can't look at film of every guy. And so Chess Surratt, you know, big numbers. I, I, I'm t- this is, he's a former quarterback in Notre Dame's zone blocking scheme. If a lineman gets to him on the second level, he's done. Yeah, no, he is. He's done. <laughs> he's he vertically, you know, he, vertically, yeah. he's great. I mean, he's a really, really good athlete, but he doesn't get off blocks. Now they've got, you know, Tamari Fox is their big defensive end. Uh, Toman Fox is is uh, uh, comes off the edge. He's pretty good. Um, they've got some, you know, I like, um, they have Raymond Bohasic is an interior lineman. He's, he does some good things, but it's not a great defense and it's not great on the back end of it. And, um, so Notre Dame should have a lot of success against him. To your point, Tim, not to pile on a former <laughs> quarterback playing defense, but, uh, in 567 snaps, he is according to pro football focus, the lowest rated defensive player on the team. That I'm sorry. That was Chapman. Yeah. No, that was Surratt. Look, wow, the lowest rated. Yeah, 39. Now that's it's surprising that he would be the lowest rated. It is, but you know what? It's run defense is incredibly low, he like impossibly low compared to everything else he does. So that dings him. Like he has they actually actually have him as a decent tackler. So run defense is what you're talking about, is hmm. he doesn't get off the block. They run to his side and gain yards. He, he like runs Pete. him he runs himself out of place trying to avoid a block. Yeah, I mean, I'm, that's it, and that's what they're grading. They like they like him as a pass rusher, and they like him as a tackler, and yes. he has a horrible, horrible run defense grade. It's like if I say thirty, that means nothing to anybody except that's out of a hundred. So you can imagine how bad that probably is. <laughs> that is just it, it's strange. He has like seventies and a thirty. It's it's interesting to me, just like from a coaching perspective, Jay Bateman, their defense coordinator, was somebody Notre Dame took a look at. Um, you know, over the sort of the Elko Lee transitions as as a guy to move over from Army, very well regarded, but yeah. Clearly, they, it's not taking there, whatever. Yeah, Pete, I, I should have said that when I was saying their defense at this point should have settled in. I thought Bateman would be like, all right, this is we can't do this. We can't do this. Right. But here's what we can do. And they don't seem to have done that. Well, uh, we'll go into segment two. But, I mean, we didn't mention Sam Howell's name. Obviously, he's a, he's a very good player. And uh, we'll get into more of what they do uh, offensively in segment two when we answer some questions. We'll be right back. Indiana Dunes Tourism, located between Chicago and South Bend in northwest Indiana, is a proud supporter of Irish Illustrated. Extend your Notre Dame visit with a trip to the nation's newest national park. Visit indianadunes.com. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Way to Go K-Man. What position group benefits the most from the bye week? Offensive line, same group that we started the show with. you gotta, you got to find a new starter. Um, so yeah, that I think that's the clear clear winner for me. Yeah, 
for sure, offensive line. Uh, what the player, I think Kyron Williams gets to uh, shake off a heck of a lot of work that he went through. Um, I think he was feeling it a little bit before the BC game started, and I think that probably helps him quite a bit. I thought it was Tim. I think you brought it up on our uh, wrap up podcast. Chris Tyree ran hard at the end of that game. Yeah, there was a really different did. look to him. It was yeah. not. It, it's he ran with that Sebo like this is my only chance to ever get the ball type look to him. That's uh, that's showed a see. little bit. Hasn't always shown the the reason we thought has he hit a wall was because he wasn't showing the burst all the time. Yeah. And he and I thought he showed that a couple times against BC and did did run hard. I mean I know what you guys are saying about the offensive line. I think it's two different perspectives. I'll be at. Because as we said, the defense, Brian Kelly said they were tired. It looked like they were tired. They they played like it a little bit. And so, I mean, I you know, look, it's good for everybody. Kyron Williams certainly needed it. I, you know, I think I said on Monday that I thought Kyle Hamilton looked banged up. He needed it. Um, you know, football, it's a tough sport. They all um, need it, man. Kyle Hamilton, watching Kyle Hamilton back a couple times on that one particular, on the particular drop interception. It is remarkable how much ground he covered when he just decided to cover it. It's just, it's an inspiring look <laughs> a football player. I couldn't, I couldn't believe, I don't think I appreciated it live and on regular replay. And then you look at him and he's reading Dracovic and it just looked like he looked at Dracovic at one point. I was like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. And he's, <laughs> I just can't believe he didn't catch it. Hey, I can't believe it. Island, Tim. <laughs> it was striking <laughs> Taylor Mays running him down on the sideline. When, whenever I see an athlete eat up ground like that, I think about, I, I dip back into my baseball days and every now and then you would come across a player who would put the ball in play and it would be like one, two, three. And he was at first base. <laughs> yeah. I had one, I had one player like that at one time. You know who it was? Tony Rice's son. Oh, really? Nice. One, two, three, and he was at first base. Now he didn't stick it. He didn't stick in baseball because he had football aspirations. And but I tried everything I possibly could to to keep him in the program because one, two, three, and he was safe. And that's Kyle Hamilton, man. Irish Tiger twenty three. If Notre Dame were to ever try a head coaching waiting plan, is now the time? And who would it be? Was I, inc- I included this question because Irish Tiger 23 on Twitter is a, is the prime candidate to be a subscriber to Irish Illustrated because. Oh, to be the coach in waiting? <laughs> no, they already have one. No, because the, the subject is addressed today on Irish Illustrated with my interview with Jack Swarbrick, along with some other topics that'll be coming up here in the next couple of days. But uh, Tim, you want? Did you ha- you have an opportunity to see that? Did you read did that? Read it, you yeah. want to go? Why don't you go ahead and uh, comment on that, and then I'll I'll talk about my uh, conversation. Well, I thought the most important point Swarbrick made for people was he doesn't like that if the coach in waiting is not officially on his way out. Basically, is how he's saying it. Um, he thinks it kind of undermines the coach's authority a little bit, and it works so well because he used the word timetable, I guess, and he used he knew Muffet's timetable. Neil Ivy was the perfect coach in waiting. And he found no reason to announce that even though he knew that um, I agree. I don't, there's a many reasons not to like the coach in waiting at Notre Dame. Uh, there's way more not to like it than there is to like it. The only reason to like it is because we all like Clark Lee. Really? It's the only reason to like it is we all like Clark Lee. Um, other than that, it's Pete. You want to list all 57 reasons why it's not a great idea usually? Well, it's uh Bob Diaco would be one. Uh, Mike Sanford would be one because those are coaches that people are like, Oh, coach in waiting. Um, and that's not doesn't really work out that well very often. Um, you know, look, Brian Kelly is under contract through 2024. 
the idea that you're going to have three years of coach and waiting, I think is unrealistic. Yeah. Two years, I think is unrealistic. I think it would pretty much have to be one year um, where you knew this was Brian Kelly's last year. And then you go to Clark Lee and say, we want you to be the guy. Um, otherwise, I just, I don't think that it worked. I, I appreciate that you asked the, the question yeah. of Sorbrick and I thought his, his answer was, was probably as, as straightforward as he's going to be about it. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, a couple things here. First of all, the whole idea of all of us knowing that he would have a coach in waiting. I mean, seven months ago, he pulled it off with Muffet McGraw and Neil Ivy. Right. And he knew, he knew Muffet's timetable, as you said, Tim. And, and so uh, they were able to, to pull that off. So if Clark Lee, and I know some people are also including um, Tommy Reese, I think Lee clearly is the better choice. Go to our message board. Some no, I, believe, are, I believe some people are. But. Yeah, no, I, I, for everybody listening, O'Malley just gave me a very quizzical look when I said that. <laughs> but I, I, I think, I, let, me, in, let me interject and then we move on. I had somebody uh, at the athletic who covers South Carolina reach out and say like, Hey, I just heard that, uh, you know, South Carolina is interested in Tommy Reese for the head coaching position. Oh my God. <laughs> and it, I think we, we pretty much settled in like there was a, a very intoxicated booster who watched the Clemson game was like, Holy crap. They scored 47 <laughs> points on them. Get that guy. Who, what's his name? I don't care. Um, what's his name? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious where Reese's career goes, but yeah, I think we're all Clark Lee has just got way more mileage on his experience with Amherst. I have a last thought on Clark Lee. When he leaves to become a head coach, hopefully not after this year, maybe the pandemic, there's another question on this. He is going to go fail somewhere like every coach does. And I don't mean fail, get fired. I mean, he's going to go fail at one of the requirements of his job, which is to be a head coach of a, of a, of a power five football program and fail in recruiting where he had to hit and fail in a game where he was supposed to win and not upset somebody because he doesn't have good enough players and let all that happen. And we know he's a good coach and bring him back to Notre Dame. But you don't want him failing first, all the things he has to learn at Notre Dame. Brian right. Kelly did not, he's the most prepared anyone could be. And he kind of failed miserably for two years at Notre Dame in terms of what he, you know, in terms of what they had and what he's used to winning. Yeah. I mean, I strongly if we, disagree with you on that because I think because Brian Kelly failed at all those things, Clark Lee doesn't have to. Like the infrastructure and the architecture is here that Clark Lee is not going to fail at culture building or recruiting operations or when to pivot, when to, how to. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan day hasn't certainly Day smart uh, Lincoln Riley. I, you know, that Notre Dame is now a job much more like Oklahoma, Ohio state or Georgia than it was when Brian Kelly got it, where they were chasing somebody out of town that they were willing to pay $18 million to, to go away. I guess my point is if you talk to a Georgia fan and ask him name Kirby smarts, biggest fail as the first time head coach, they're all going to point to the worst call in the history of championship games that kept them out of the championship game in the sec championship. No, game that's a good point. That's like good that's, point. The fa- that's the, fail. that's the, that's the, he does that here. He's dead. Yeah. And I just, I, I will move on to the next question here, but I just want to say that I, what part of my conversation with Jack Swarbrick was about, or a comment by him was about recently are good coordinators. And, and would be good coordinators anywhere, mm-hmm. but they're a perfect fit for Notre Dame. And so by saying that, we didn't, I didn't, I didn't pursue that any further, but by yeah. saying that, he's indicating that he wouldn't rule them out as coach and waiting candidates if they were to go in that direction. 
but he's not, I mean, he's not inclined to go in that direction, mainly because one, Kelly's here through 2024, and two, he's not totally convinced that Kelly isn't here longer than that. You know, we're just, we're looking at, I think we're all kind of looking at like, okay, in 2024, Brian Kelly rides off in the sunset. Well, they're 41 and six in their last 47 games. Right. They they could possibly make the playoffs for the second time in three years, which puts a whole different slant on what happens moving forward. If I was, look, if I was, what, is he 57, 58? He's one year younger than me. So he's 59. Okay. I had a job that I really liked. And I was paying, getting paid like six million a year. I probably would just keep doing it. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm building a house right close to my job. It's there. He has all the markers of staying here. More likely to stay here longer than shorter. Than shorter, yeah. That, which goes to your point of coaching waiting is difficult for someone at Notre Dame. At what yeah. age do you? At what age do you balance? You, you're balancing those scales and say, I don't need to make six million dollars a year and work a hundred hours a week anymore. Uh, I don't, I mean, I think in the off season, <laughs> his lifestyle is pretty good. So I don't know. It's going to go over well in the blogosphere speed. Grind, <laughs> yeah. man, that, the in season grind is tough, but I think that he's got to a point where like the lifestyle overall, because of the architecture that's been built with culture and having good assistance and being, like he can delegate in a way that he couldn't before because the people he's delegating to are better at their jobs. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what would lead him to be like, ah, just I'm done with this. I, I agree with that. And I also think that he does a tremendous job of just rolling with the punches and being at peace with himself. And maybe part of that is the lifestyle that you talk about during the off season, <coughs> which people complain about from a recruiting standpoint, but if they recruit like they have, this past week, that won't be a problem. All right, we got to move on here. T's backer, right, Jack? How much credit should we give Jack Swarbrick for the way this season has played out? It's remarkable that Notre Dame and ACC have played a relatively full slate while allowing for flexibility flexibility with COVID postponements. From what I've read, he was a linchpin in those late summer discussions. Juxtapose Swarbrick and the ACC with the Big Ten commissioner and the Pac-12 commissioner. I think we did that in uh, August, appropriately, <laughs> when we questioned right away, why in the world are they canceling now? Turns out they shouldn't have. And here yep. they are, and now they're canceling games because they have no leeway. <laughs> he handled it great. We, we talked about how great he handled it and how poorly it was handled. And I, I, get, the, I get the Pac-12 is a little bit tougher situation, not knowing if their state would be playing football. Yeah, I, I think, I think there's the Big some, Ten was I, ridiculous. I think, I think there's some politics involved that impacted the decisions of those two commissioners, too, that that takes it that took it out of their hands a little bit, but certainly the Pac-12 and Notre Dame and ACC handled it really, really well. I said the first thing I said to him when I spoke with him was, "I can't believe you guys got eight games done already." It's it's like these last six weeks shot by, and it's like holy crap, they're about ready to finish up their season. And we were wondering when Wake Forest was postponed whether they would be able to complete it. And nothing's guaranteed. There could still be. You know, they've been they've been fortunate that their opponents have not had to cancel a game as they move forward each week. Yeah, I mean, if they like they Notre Dame had to cancel one against Wake. Wake had to cancel one this week. Miami's run into some trouble. Um, I think it's a, was it Pittsburgh or Georgia Tech <laughs> got wiped out last week. Um, I, I mean, the best thing the ACC did was start the soonest. Um, 
you know, I, give, I would certainly give Swarbrick some credit for that. Um, you know, I, I don't think that his voice is necessarily louder or more, is going to sway people more in that league than, than a lot of other ADs. But, you know, it's like, it seemed like mo- that, un- unlike the Big Ten, it seemed like everyone was sort of rowing in the same direction. Yeah, that's, that was probably good word usage there, Pete. Big Ten and rowing in the direction right now. Roll the bell, baby. Judge Arthur Vandaly, how do you see Notre Dame lining up on defense against a dangerous North Carolina offense? Will they play more of a 4-2-5 by taking the buck linebacker off the field in favor of another corner or safety? Tim, what do you think wanna, about that? I want to give you guys some rushing yardage stats for Notre Dame's offense, okay? 1,868 yards rushing for Notre Dame's offense, 233.5 yards per game for Notre Dame's offense, and 24 rushing touchdowns. North Carolina's rushing offense is 1,868 yards as well, 233.5 yards per game as well, and 24 rushing touchdowns as well. So would you do a 4-2-5 against Notre Dame's running game? You'll what would happen, killed. do you think, if you you'll play get, a nickel? You'll get killed. I, you, look, you, just, you have to go into this game understanding that North Carolina can beat you in every way imaginable offensively. So – I mean, I think to, to a large extent, depending upon situation, down and distance, and that kind of thing, yeah. you got to play this straight up, man. There were you, I. People are going to see how good. Well, not necessarily. Norden could shut it down, but I'm telling you, if you've watched, if you go back and watch North Carolina play, they have got weapons in every aspect of the offense. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about all season. If you looked at the first eleven of Notre Dame's defense, what what's the position that worried you the most buck linebacker that's 11th but is the buck linebacker better than the nickelback i'm not i don't think that he is again if you're trying to tackle javante williams <laughs> then he's worse well right? you're, you're saying he's not as good of a tackler but yeah. you're uh, I, look they're it's a problem man it's a, just, that's why like, they're that's why they're scoring forty one points a game. I'm people, I just don't I don't look at North Carolina and think like this is a like a scheme change game. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's yeah. not like the it's not like the passing equivalent of when you play Michigan State, old school Michigan State. Where we're like, well, well, this is a Bo Bauer kind of game. Like we're going to put three four linebackers on the field. Like, okay, well, you let's have to play really well, and they're going to score on you even if you do. Yeah, let me tie in the next question from Jay Thunders. Looking ahead to North Carolina, aren't they similar to Clay Helton's USC teams in a lot of ways? I, I don't know. No, you know, no. They, they have, according to Pro Football Focus, and I don't mean to bring them into everything, but the number one ranked running game in the country in terms of the running backs and the, how, how efficient they are is North Carolina. Running game. And they're number yeah. seven passing. That's, I mean, not, it, U, that's it, not USC. That's not, yeah, this is Alabama's number three. In this situation, North Carolina, so. North Carolina runs. I mean, everybody runs slants because they're easy to complete and they're dangerous. North Carolina runs more than everybody else. And it's again, it's predicated upon first option, read option to the running back. Second option, slant. Third option, a different pass route. Fourth option, an, another different pass route. Fifth option, Howell keeps and converts a third, uh, a third down because you're not expecting him to keep it. And he's, He's not Ian Book, but he's a capable runner, certainly. So the key is, as Pete mentioned, they're going to score, um, but they have a terrible defense. And Notre Dame's going to score too. And Notre Dame's offense is just as good as North Carolina's in a different way. They run the ball great. They're now passing the ball well. They're going to, and they have a much better defense. So we're not trying to turn this into a 
North Carolina 53, Notre Dame 37 type of uh, podcast, but they're going to score points. Even if everybody's back healthy and doing well for Notre Dame, they're going to find a way in a 60 minute game to score points against that's. And I, you know, I think I I talked about the safeties. I think Notre Dame can hurt them downfield, but I also think that you want this. The best way to stop North Carolina's offense is to keep their butts off the field. So, you know, you, you want to, you can run against them. You need to run against them because you want to keep Sam Howell and all those um, skill position guys off the field. Notre Josh, how's the North Carolina offensive line? Will the Irish pass rush be quick enough to prevent the secondary from getting exploited? I think the offensive line is pretty good. I I can judge it based upon this. Do the two running backs have space to run? They do. They do. I mean, they they that offensive line finds a way to disperse things up front. They've got a couple big guards that uh, that pull a lot and are effective. I will say that their left tackle, Asim Richards, is very very vulnerable. Nordem needs to get a pass rush against that guy. He's not that good. Isaiah Foskey needs to be put in a position to beat that guy because he's their best pass rusher at that position. Dalen Hayes is getting most of those snaps, however. Uh, but I think it's a pretty good, I think it's a pretty good offensive line. I, I when I when I watch film of opponent, I want to see how much room the running backs have to maneuver, and they seem to have a lot of room to maneuver. I, I'm fascinated to see how Nurin's pass rush shapes up in this game. It's interesting that they're averaging the same amount of sacks this year as last year and the same amount of sacks this year as two years ago, because I don't, I don't think any of us would sit there and say like Nurin's pass rush is as good now as it was then. Um, the numbers suggest that it is, but I, I just, this might be a game where you need uh, a big third down sack or maybe a big second down sack to turn it into a third and 17, um, you yeah. know, at a, at a critical juncture. And like, it certainly got that at the very end against Clemson, but up until that point, they weren't getting pressure on Uyunglele at all. So um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think that how good Nuremberg's pass rush will show itself next week. And I think also how deep Nuremberg's secondary is uh, will show itself next week in ways that this season has not uh, revealed to date. The problem is they run so many slants that you can't get to them a lot of times. We could be we'll, hearing a lot of like, they get the ball out quick. Yeah. I'm right. Rush. right. And, and, and they will run, they will run a lot of slants. Maybe it's just, I didn't see every clip of every game, but maybe it's, they run a lot of slants on first down. So they put themselves in second and short yardage situations. If they don't, you know, if they don't gain 11 or 12 on the slant, they gain, seven, eight, or nine, and now they're in a short yardage situation, which then again negates your pass rush. Next one from Zombie Irish for Tim Priester. With respect to players that he previously showed some tough love to, him being you, Tim, <laughs> whose senior season ranks higher on the TJP Proud Papa Bear meter? Felt a little weird reading this whole question. Jeremy Tillery or Javon McKinley? I was going to say, it's a, it's kind of a weird question there. I know the friend. answer. <laughs> Zombie Irish? Yeah, and he knows. You know, I, I don't remember tough love about McKinley. I didn't really have a strong opinion about him, other than he wasn't developing. I had a strong opinion about Jerry Tillery because I don't like being disrespected to my face, which is what Jerry Tillery did to me and many uh, to you guys and many other people. So um, I don't know what to say. Yeah, <laughs> I think I know. I think it means McKinley is the one you're showing me love to. That's uh, that would be correct. <laughs> Pete, would be thoughts correct. on uh, tough love? 
I I think McKinley has. I think the question, if you're like, who's had the, the most surprising breakout senior year, McKinley is inching toward the top of guys that I have covered, um, which I didn't, I was very reluctant to go there after just the Florida State game, because probably because Brian Kelly put it on so thickly after the game. Um, but shoot, you I felt mean, disrespected, right? <laughs> I did. I did disrespected. Uh, but the Clemson Boston College back to back, I mean, he's a, he's a reliable part of the offense now. Um, yeah. And that's, Full credit to him because it took him a while to get there, but he's there. And I do want to say, all I mean, all the respect in the world for the what Jerry Tillery accomplished and turned himself into a first-round draft choice, whether that proves to be uh, – whether he proves to be worthy of that or not, I, I think that still remains to be seen. But His W forms say that he is. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What you get paid – what you're worth is what you get paid. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and the other thing – I mean, he played, he needed surgery throughout most of his senior year at Notre Dame. And so yeah. I, got a, I got a ton of respect for Jared Tillery for that. I, I wish I was tailgating. Who do you think will kick the majority of the field goals in 2021? John Doerr, all except for whatever team they're blowing out in the fourth quarter in September. Yeah. John Doerr. I have nothing else to add. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I'm not, maybe the memo didn't get out, but I mean, Jonathan Doerr has when asked what indicated that he intends to come back this next year. And uh, I'm sure Notre Dame will make sure that there's a scholarship available to him next year. They're well. all available. Every scholarship's available next year. They're all fine. <laughs> you know, anybody can come back. <laughs> it doesn't matter for one year. Well, there's still going to be a limit though, right? No, no, not next year. Then it goes back to 85. Yep. Next year is totally 100, right. 115 guys running around if they need them. But ne- the following year is 85. When was that decided? Kelly mentioned it once. Like, he's yeah. like it's it's the second year it's okay so i didn't get the memo yes <laughs> he will be back <laughs> or I didn't well, I mean, he, he could still leave he could still leave but, or yeah. i didn't hear I, I guess i no i heard that explanation mm-hmm. but i guess i didn't interpret it that way so uh my apologize my apology back to zombie irish for the memo <laughs> comment uh but tying in with jonathan door question from bwac 29 if josh bryan's trainer is correct josh bryan being the recent verbal commitment kicker for notre dame he can consistently make 55-yard-plus kicks and has the leg to make 60-plus yarders. Does he challenge Door for the starting spot next year, or is this the type of thing Door can do in practice as well and game situations are different? Wouldn't it, If this was true, wouldn't it be a little weird that uh, he was committed to Colorado? I think a lot of guys can do it in practice, actually. I think kickers yeah, are, I got, you I got, think for, I got for a lot, our lives, kickers have been great. On this. Yeah, I think for our lives, kickers have been great in practice for most of our lives, so especially high school and, and kicking camps. Um, who's the guy, that uh, local guy, Tim, that you and Eric Hansen always talk about? He had never missed a kick at Indiana, and he came in and he couldn't hit a kick for his life and never really kicked Burkhart? for Notre Dame. In the... What's that? Was it Ryan, Ryan Burkhart? Yes, Burkhart. <laughs> From Northwood, Northwood <laughs> yes. High School. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of good prep kickers out there. John Doerr was terrible for two years at Notre Dame. Remember? Horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't, I don't look, Josh Bryan's a, a, a stronger kid kind of built. He played He played linebacker at his high school. Um, he's got a strong leg. I like the way he hits the ball, but I don't, don't, don't tell me about 55 and 60 yard kicks in camps because there's no, there's no, there's no pass rush. There's no pressure. There, there's no comparison to that. Number one, number two, John Doerr hit 52 and 51 yard field goals last year. 
just because he didn't make a 57 yarder the other day doesn't mean that he doesn't have a lot of leg. I mean, that's it. John Doerr is 6'3". I don't know what he weighs, but he is a sturdy, strong yeah. kid. Josh Bryan's not beating Jonathan Doerr out. I don't care if they're kicking from 70. And I don't buy, I, I'm sorry, I don't buy all the hype about a kid. It, hey, Josh Bryan missed 11. And this is, I don't, I don't know the kid. This isn't personal or anything. But you can't tell me that you're 11 for 19 as a junior. And it's because you're playing linebacker. I, I'm. Come on, to, man. To be fair, yeah, to be fair, listening to Tom and Kevin, um, he's well aware of the fact that Jonathan Doerr is the starting kicker next year. Yeah, he's. Well, I, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I'm. I, I'm sure he is. I'm not. I'm not criticizing Josh Bryan as much as I am the hype that is thrown on a kid based upon camps. Yeah. And he's 11 for 19 in game situations. Come on, what has more value? There, it isn't. There isn't even a a conversation to be had about that. Yeah, it's like what I said. If, if he was really automatic for 55, Notre Dame would have had to flip him from Alabama. Exactly. TDISU 19, right? Kelly's offensive and defensive coordinators throughout his tenure from worst to best. I'll start, says TDISU. I, you, oh, I thought you <laughs> No, TDISU to. says he'll start. Offense worst, Moldar. Defense worst, Van Gorder. He took away our, uh, this our is, easy ones. Yeah. This is right in your wheelhouse, O'Malley. Go for it. All right. Off uh, defense goes worst to first. Van now we're Gorder. talking about five guys, uh, four on defense, right? Yeah. Van Gorder. Um, and then the Elston-Hudson combination was not as good as Bob Yako. And then Clark Lee is the best. Um, and it was Elston more than Hudson. And Elston had less to work with and a train wreck compared to everybody else in this situation. And we have to give him some credit for turning around, not a sinking ship, but one that had already been at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean and he pulled out to make them okay. okay but, well, uh, you said, still can't put him over Diaco. I mean, well, I said four, but I was thinking, El- you didn't mention Elko. Elko is three, right? Oh, I forgot about it. Yeah, okay, Elko is three. Sorry, I forgot he existed. Yeah, Lee, Diaco, Elko the amalgamation of 2016 and then yeah. Ryan Van Gorder. Yeah. No doubt. Okay. Too. I'll, I'll go along with that. Okay. Offensively, we're talking about Charlie Molnar, Chuck Martin, Mike Denbrock, Chip Long, and Tommy Reese. You know, this in, is, the, in this the order is which they, This is tricky. It is. I, well, I, you know. Uh, well, it's not fair to Long for 39 games versus eight, but uh, right, Reese. We have six, six guys. Yeah. Can we agree that Molnar is sixth and Sanford is fifth? Oh, so, yeah. Okay. I didn't even, inc- I didn't include Sanford because he didn't call the plays. Denbrock did. But his title was OC. So I think we got to, we got to include him. Okay. Okay. Well, I was looking at play callers. So All right, how about this one? Him. How about this? Let's break it down. Denbrock or Martin? Who's better for Notre Dame? Yeah, I would, I would say Chuck Martin. Yes. I, I agree. So those guys are below long. And Reese, right? Yeah. Okay. And I would. So now we're going to go on nine nine games of body of work for Tommy Reese against three years. Right. Um, (laughs) All right. I will project a playoff team for Notre Dame with two losses. Is that a nice way of splitting the difference? I'm not so sure Tommy, let's try to get Tommy Reese a little bit bigger body of work. What we think is going to happen? Like we could ask this question. In- oh, at the end of the season, Notre Dame is eleven and two, and they they lost in the semifinals. Yeah, is that fair? At least to try to split the difference and try instead of going like the highest end you could do here. They could clearly be thirteen and zero also, but my point is, yeah, um, I would think that's a heck of a year. <laughs> yeah, 
It's tough because I mean Long's judged based upon yeah having to call a game against a 2018 Clemson team. Sure, yeah. Reese just went against clearly a less talented and more beaten up defense yeah. for Clemson. So I you know I don't know exactly what the answer is, but great question. It is a good question. Pretty easy on defense, except I can't remember Mike Elko coached another name. That didn't help my answer. But uh, I, mean, I want to ask you this, not to believe. Like somebody asked me in my mailbag, like how lucky is Notre Dame that Elko left after one year? And I'm like, well, that's kind of a messed up way to look at that because the defense was broken. He fixed it and then left. And yeah, he's that's Barkley came here in the first place. No, that's that's misguided. I, you're you're comparing things. That's that's misguided. I mean, Elko's the one that. Elko and Elko and Lee will tell you that, you know, Lee helped develop Elko's philosophy and that's true, but it was Elko's philosophy that he initially yeah. taught I mean, to Clark Lee. But let's be fair. Elko had one bad day and no one was trying to get rid of him down in Miami. They were, they were apoplectic when he left Clark Lee had a bad day in Michigan. Nobody was trying to get rid of him. It's not that Clark Lee had a bad day, right? It was the exact same bad day a team that wet its pants. <laughs> it's the exact same bad day. They both had it that bad of a day. Um, so it's really hard to say that. about. I mean, I thought, and Elko would have, if let's say Elko stayed another year, he just still had Clark Lee coaching the linebackers and Clark Lee would have been promoted after that. that yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I, I just forgot you. he existed. Not because I wanted to, because I had a mind freeze. Yeah. Not a, yeah. All right. Moving along. PG Duman, which true freshman is going to step up and make a huge play to save the Irish from an upset? I don't know that it's necessarily for North Carolina. It's just a general statement moving forward. Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer. Or uh, the only other option would be Chris Tyree, right? Well, or Clarence Lewis. We're going to go with Michael Mayer. I'm going to go with Michael Mayer, too. Chris Tyree, I like the way Chris Tyree is trending. Clarence Lewis could bat down a fourth and eight pass that, you know, I mean, I guess the other those other two guys will have probably more opportunities to do it, but uh, plus I don't think I, uh, Alabama will upset them when Michael Mayer makes that play. So there you go. So Irish, Irish from A two. What are the odds that Clark Lee is a defense coordinator in Notre Dame next year? Is Vanderbilt open or not? Yes, let's say it's open and Mason is mm, here. They're not good. Yeah, I think. Does Clark Lee moving during a pandemic affect anything instead of waiting a year to coach? No. No, because the, the, the pandemic effect is the athletic department saying we don't have the money to fire our current coach. Right, right. Um, I wonder if he has any foresight to not go coach in the SEC with Vanderbilt for four years. Have you, have you had, Pete, have you had that conversation about that specific topic with him? I, I have not. I mean, well, I've talked to him about Vanderbilt a little bit. I just know that he, I mean, he has a ton of affection for the place yeah. and is very well regarded by people who matter at Vanderbilt. Um, I don't know if he would be, I don't think he'd be a slam dunk hire there for a new AD who is probably like, all right, we just had a defensive head coach to replace him with another defensive head coach. Um, but I, I just, man, I, I have a very difficult time seeing him say no. Yeah. You know what makes him a slam dunk higher and not is honestly, if they go 11 and two and lose to Clemson and then Alabama in consecutive games, he's not a slam dunk higher. If they go 13 and oh, he is a slam dunk higher. Yeah. That's just the way it works. I mean, so then, he, so then he goes to Vanderbilt and they go back to a twelve-game schedule and he goes four and eight and he goes yeah. five and seven and he goes four and eight. And it was what you were talking about earlier, Tim. That you know now, 
and and that's public yeah. opinion. Ultimately, public opinion doesn't determine the the certainly wouldn't determine Jack Swarbrick's decision. Um, but you know that's going. If you go back to if you go to Vanderbilt, you're going to have to be you got to be an awesome head coach to start going eight and four, nine and three. Oh yeah, no. I mean, if if, if Vanderbilt came open, I if I was Clark Lee, I would go into Jack Swarbrick's office and be like, "Hey, I read this thing on Irish Illustrated where you said," but I would just like I would try to get to the bottom of that. Like, yeah. where, like where's your mind at with this? Because if if it means like I got to wait four well, I, years to be that, like, would you rather wait at Notre Dame to be the head coach in twenty twenty five? Would you rather go to Vanderbilt? roll the dice and then come back and but you want to come back to the room in 2020 and we don't know whether that conversation we don't know whether that conversation has been held already i mean it could very well have been possible because swarbrick was i mean was insistent on basically saying if we have a, a coach in waiting you're not going to know about it yeah it's, i i accept that challenge yeah that's uh i would just advise someone not to go coach vanderbilt in the sec I, even if you love the place, it's uh send your send your twins there. <laughs> it's, I'm, telling, I'm telling you, man, that's you just, it's a no win situation. I get you know what? If he goes to Vanderbilt, they go four and eight, five and seven, seven and five, and seven and five. He can easily come to Notre Dame because that is like going well, right. ten and, and then two he, elsewhere. So yeah. then he leaves. Then right. he leaves. Then, and you, then leave. Vanderbilt then leave. starts right. over again. Right. It's not. It's not like. I mean, you know, building foundations at at Vanderbilt that stay intact. I mean, yeah. it's difficult to do. It's more It's more likely that it's a flash in a pan season than building a foundation where Vanderbilt's now going to be a, a front runner in the SEC. Right. Uh, Franklin was there. He went 6-7, 9-4, 9-4. That's pretty good. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty good. Yeah. Dashing Domer, is Ian Book playing his way into being a late late round draft pick? Do you think he could be an effective backup quarterback in the NFL? Uh, yes and yes. Yeah, I think uh... – Maybe I was the lowest in August when I, they said, where is he going to be drafted? I said seventh round. Um, I don't think he would have been drafted if he left before the Clemson game. <laughs> and now I uh, definitely take a chance on Ian Book to be a backup quarterback in the NFL. I find questions very yeah. interesting that wouldn't have been asked two games yeah. ago. Oh, yeah. it's And I understand it's why great. it's being asked, Dashing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, I've always felt like his – I always – felt like he had the ability to be an accurate quarterback. I loved his release. I've always felt like mechanically he's always been as good as he can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just not very tall and it'll make it difficult to be so anything other than a backup. I'm going to do an argument on a message board about how Ian Book should come back for a sixth year because he's not going to make it. In the yeah, Ian Book has no, he's not Ian, especially back. now Ian Book has absolutely no reason to come back for six year. He's not Those guys back don't have a reason to come back for a sixth year. Honestly, I just wrote a story on it. There'll be an Irish Illustrated tomorrow. Right. <laughs> six years tough, man. It's John, Sean Crawford would not be here. Had he not hurt his elbow and completely ruined right. any right. look at anything last year. Right. COVID COVID changes things a little bit, but yes, not, yes. not, Good not Good so much for six years. Uh, Dylan Murphy. Oh, two. How many of the current starters on the 2020 roster are on the Brian Kelly era first team? All right, so the safeties are Harrison Smith and someone, so I, Alohi Gilman, so Kyle Hamilton, I would just take my chances and put him on the team. Is that fair? Okay. Hamilton's on that team. Yeah, the yeah. linebackers are Manti and Jalen and Ousu Koromoa without okay. really having to figure out who he's beaten out. Great players. Yep, great players. Um, 
So uh, we need to see Kyron Williams finish this year out because Josh Adams didn't start running poorly until he got hurt around game nine or 10. So it's, it's, when, that, it's when it starts to hurt more, right, is when it gets going on for a running back. A little difficult for Liam Eikenberg to beat out the competition at left tackle. Left tackle and left guard are not winning. Um, <laughs> center, uh, maybe, right? Uh, Nick Martin? Oh, no, I'm sorry, Nick Martin. Good call. Yeah, Nick Martin. Uh, right guard, they've never had a good right guard, so I'll take Tommy Kramer, the fifth-year senior. They've you could argue had... Mike Golick Jr. is who you got to go with there, Pete. It's going to be a tough one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Alex Bars before he was good was a right guard, but he That's was not that good. Say, Bars. Yeah. Kramer, I guarantee you Kramer's better this year than Bars was as a true junior starting on right guard. And then right tackle, no. McGlinchey what, McGlinchey was a right know. tackle at yeah. one point. McGlinchey's right tackle. Hainsey's awfully good, though. Wide receivers? What, Javon McKinley's not going to beat out? <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to go over wide receivers. Uh, we don't need to go over tight end. That's why I say uh, beast mode. Can we say beast mode for a guy that hasn't scored a touchdown yet this year? We do not. Okay, wide receivers, tight end, no. Well, Book could finish the year as the best one. Quarterback, yeah. Year. yeah. I think it's – I mean, you're looking at two and a half. Quarterback, yeah. Yeah. Book, Owusu Koromoa, and, and like half of Hamilton as like with I'm, Gilman. When I they promise you, Kramer is better than Alex Bars as a junior. Like I've okay. gone That's through these guys. I didn't it's even think about, I didn't think about that. Yeah, um, right, we're going to wrap up with B U T G R R. If Notre Dame gets into the playoffs this year, who do you think they match up better against, Alabama or Ohio State? Uh, I got to say Ohio State because I watched too much of Alabama and I don't like that. Um, I'm glad Jalen Waddle's not there. Ohio State's beaten an 0-4 team. That was their best team they played. Uh, yeah, we, we gonna, don't know. They're going to beat a number nine. They're going to beat a number nine team this week, though, too. <laughs> Probably. So we can throw that out the window. Um, I mean, I just Alabama's my default if I don't want to play Alabama. Is my default pick usually. I think I would go. I would. I would prefer to see them play Ohio State. I think that. I mean, both matchups would be hard. And then, and then play and then play Alabama in the national championship if they beat them. Because <laughs> ultimately, no, I need Cincinnati to upset Alabama, and then you have the Brian Kelly Bowl. It'll be great. Yeah, it's, I mean, maybe Notre Dame's due for like the reverse of Baylor, Kansas State. Yeah, yes. You actually get to face Colin Klein in the national championship game. I mean, I know Ryan. I know Ryan Day's doing a nice job at uh, Ohio State, but. I beg off Alabama would, most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I think I think I'd rather uh, face off against Ryan Day than than Nick Saban with uh, time to prepare for you, with ample time to prepare. Right? Uh, yeah. All right, folks. Uh, we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, again, to reiterate, we will have one podcast next week. It will come on Tuesday afternoon. And until then, thanks for joining us on Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.